Before we get into today's episode with Nick, I've just got a few announcements. Today is the first episode in April, and here at Outer Rim Reads, I donate $1 for every patron we have to charity at the start of each month. In the previous episode's intro, I'd mentioned I would be directing this month's donation to an organization benefiting the AAPI community in light of the recent horrific hate crimes in Atlanta and in light of the spike in hate crimes toward Asian Americans since the start of the pandemic. With that said, we have 10 patrons, so I've donated $10 to the Asian Mental Health Collective. This organization works to normalize and destigmatize mental health in the Asian community, as well as making mental health easily accessible and available to Asian communities across the globe. On its own, mental health is of utmost importance, and this is amplified even more knowing that the Asian American community has been the recipient of so much horrible racism and xenophobia in our country, especially since the start of the COVID pandemic. I'll leave a link in the episode description to the AMHC for anyone who would like to learn more about the truly crucial work that they do. As always, I want to thank the people who make this show possible over at Patreon. So a huge thank you to all of our wonderful patrons, with a special shout-out to Simon, our patron at the Lothal tier. Beyond supporting just this show, thank you to you all for making it a priority to support independent creators. I truly mean it when I say you motivate me to keep doing what I do with this podcast. Thank you. And if you're not a patron, we're always looking for new people to join the family. From our patron Discord server, episode bloopers, a monthly bonus show, and more, there is a lot of bonus material that you can get access to. For as little as $3 a month, you can join the family over at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. Now for our Search Your Reading segment. Last episode's discussion question was, Qui-Gon admitted to keeping Obi-Wan studying the lightsaber basics because he felt that would ensure his apprentice would be untouchable. Do you think that strategy paid off? Talk about some examples that support or refute Qui-Gon's theory. And we have a few listener responses. On Discord, Doug wrote, Yeah, I reckon it paid off. Short and to the point. That was fantastic. Simon, the Jedi Master of Discussion, wrote, I think it definitely paid off. With the great foundation in his basic skill, Obi-Wan was able to develop his own style later on with all its strength. I think it particularly worked well since, with his defense, he'd more easily be able to anticipate his opponent's move, for example, with Grievous. And on Twitter, Sean wrote, to quote a Jedi Master from Earth, Bruce Lee, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Every time Obi Badhair complained, <laughs> that's a great reference from early in the season, every time Obi Badhair complained about being stuck in the basics, I thought of this quote. I think Qui Gon is in the right here. He almost always is. How do you stop fancy attacks? The basics. The smarter, and usually better prepared, fighter almost always wins. Best example is Mustafar. Anakin, an insanely powerful duelist, is thwarted by Obi-Wan's mastery of the basics and can't break his guard. Anakin resorts to a desperate attack, and, well, we know how it ends. Thank you all so much for these responses. I love hearing from you with these questions, and stay tuned for our next discussion question at the end of this episode. Now let's get into episode 33 of Outer Rim Reads.
Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 33 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will be discussing chapters 29 through 31 of Master and Apprentice, and I'm joined today by one of the hosts of the Carbonite Convo's YouTube channel and podcast, Nick Ramsey. Nick, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing I'm doing great, man. I'm super excited to to talk some Star Wars tonight. I'm glad we can finally connect, get on an episode together. So, you know, I'm I'm super excited, man. I'm I'm happy to have you. Uh, we were talking a little bit off air about. Uh, I know this is an audio podcast, so the listeners will not be able to see. But your incredible Funko Pop collection just behind you, literally taking up 50 acres of wall space. Uh, it is fantastic. <laughs> I just, appreciate uh, it, man. Uh, but I'm I'm happy to have you and uh, and your you know just fantastic personality on this show today. Um, for the listeners who aren't familiar with you uh, or haven't you know heard heard of your work before, could you give them a little background on kind of your uh, your background with the Star Wars fandom and then specifically with Master and Apprentice after that? Yeah, definitely. So I think you could talk a while for about what kind of Star Wars fan you are. So I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. <laughs> um, it's pretty simple. I've been a Star Wars fan pretty much my entire life. My dad was a big Star Wars fan since the original trilogy came out. I think he was 12 when it came out, so he saw it in theaters. Um, he kind of passed that on to me, and it, it's just grown ever since. You know, I collected the toys when I was little, but then yeah. it was toys. They weren't collectibles like they are now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But so There's you know, a distinction. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You can't just uh, unfortunately you can't play with them too too much. But no. <laughs> we have our ways now. But yeah, so um, that that's pretty much all there is about you know me being a Star Wars fan, other than getting into the podcast. You know, because I collected toys, sure. watched the movies, didn't go much past that except reading. You know, all, following all these Instagram fact accounts, just learning all this stuff. And then yeah. uh, during quarantine, Alec, you know, my co-host and I, we decided that it was finally time to you know, start Carbonite Convos. It had been a nugget of an idea for a good little bit, and we didn't sure. see a better time to start it than, you know, at the time we did, which was, I think, last week of May, we went live, nice. uh, first episode, uh, June, I think, May 31st, so, you know, early June, and it has been a ride ever since. Yeah, I, I love that, um, the, that you guys also, you do Star Wars as well as Marvel. Um, yep. and I remember when I was taking a listen to uh, this was a, a while ago when you were going through the Infinity Stones um, on your yeah. on your channel. Uh, just the 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 vast swaths of knowledge that was just like <laughs> entering my my ears. I was like, this is incredible. Like you guys know your stuff, and you also make it a fun time. You just had your first live stream yeah. uh, this week. I'm looking forward to to seeing that grow, but. That's a that's the funny thing about quarantine is that um, as as bad as you know twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one so far has has been in some respects in a lot of respects um, yeah all of us kind of or a lot of people I don't know about all of us uh, found like this awesome these awesome creative outlets to just uh, expand on and really kind of just channel your fandom uh, in a really unique way. So that's uh, some incredible work on, on Carbonite Convos. Um, and you, you mentioned that you started with the books. Which was the first Star Wars book that you read? And, and where does, I guess, Master and Apprentice kind of fall in, in how many you've read so far? Yeah. All right. So I was not expecting that question. So I have to think back a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'd you on say, the spot. Yeah, exactly. You're killing me. No, I'm just kidding. I think the <laughs> first one I read was actually... 
and and forgive me, I can't remember exactly what the name is, but I think it was a young adult one. It wasn't like one of the novels sure. we have now. It was about Ray, Finn, and Poe. It was set uh, divided into three sections. Okay. Um, about their lives leading up to the moment the Force Awakens started. Sure. So I think a few months after. Well, whenever the book came out, I saw it in Target and I, I read it. Um, and just from there, just knowing how much I learned from that, you know, from that one book, which is not even, you know, it, it was very well written, but it's sure. not meant to have too much depth to them. It's just giving you these backstories and then you move up that, that level yeah. to the, you know, the big boy novels. Um <laughs> It, it the story is just enhanced from there. So that was the first one, and you actually kind of helped me figure out what I wanted to do That's from true, there <laughs> because I was going to read the Thrawn books. I was going to read the Thrawn books from there, yeah. but when I looked at what I wanted to learn about more, it was, it was more the characters I knew, and sure. I, I know Thrawn, but he's not too high on my list. Great character, but I have a lot more other favorites that I wanted to learn about. Yeah. So I read... Uh, from a certain point of view, which is my nice. all-time favorite favorite Star Wars book, saw that in Target as well. So just blew <laughs> through that one, and then I wanted to go canonically. I think so. I wanted to go uh, chronologically. Chronologically, yeah. yeah. Wow, uh, goodness, you got to <laughs> edit that. Canonically, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We've been doing that lately. Me and Alec have been making up words on the podcast. It's, it's hey, English crazy. is all just made up words. So keep going. <laughs> it's in all language. Yeah. So. um I wanted to start reading them chronologically, so I started with Dooku, Jedi Lost, nice. um, and that was the first book I listened to on Audible, and it was like listening to a movie. Uh, yeah. So it, the experience was awesome, and I just wanted to follow in that, and I kind of prepared for that because what made me want to read Master and Apprentice was I got the message from yep. you on Twitter uh, I think it had to have been maybe September, whenever you were- a while ago, yeah. It was a good bit, <laughs> so you you asked me if I had the book, I said, yeah, Um you're like, you, you want to come on and talk about these chapters? Like, for sure. So I was expecting it to be, you know, in the next month or so. Um, I think it's incredible how far out and advanced you have this you know, set. It's, it's <laughs> I awesome. It. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, uh, you know, that kind of put it in mind for me. So I yeah. knew I had to read Jedi Dooku Lost first. And I'm glad I did because of Rail Avaros. Oh, Super sure. glad. Um, and then just hopped into this one. So it's it's going good, man. You're actually maybe doing my job better than I do because I have not gotten to Dooku Jedi really? Lost yet. Um, but when I do, and and you've you know you have tacked on to the votes of of the people who say to experience it through the audiobook format because I think that's how it's intended. Yeah. Um, so I really I want to get to that and experience it. I think that would be the first audiobook that I listen to. I don't usually really? listen to uh, to audiobooks or, or anything okay. like that. So. That's on the list. That's on my list. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. And you know, Master and Apprentice. I'm listening to that on the audio on an audiobook as well, and it's performed by one guy, which yeah, he does a great job. But it's it is a little weird at at points. You know, I don't necessarily like listening to a 40 year old man talking <laughs> in a teenage girl voice. Um, I, I think it just yeah yeah. I I think I feel that <laughs> you know he he covers the other characters very well. Um, so I would almost like, going back to my original point, Dooku Jedi Lost is an entire cast. Like a full cast, Exactly. Yeah. So it was literally, you're listening to a bunch of different people, um, you know, pretty much act out a Star Wars movie through their voices. Um, so it's just a little different with Master and Apprentice having one, one For guy sure. do it. Yeah. But I, I hope that you've still been enjoying the story. Oh, and 100%. Uh, we've got some really good chapters to yes. talk about today. So how about I give my summary for chapter 29 and then we can dive right in. Good to go. 
From the Merricks, Pax and Rahara witnessed the Blackguards start to attack the Zerka facility. Realizing that the slaves at the mine would have no means to protect themselves, Rahara decides to intervene against Pax's advice. Using the facet, the Merricks' small, single-pilot ship, she speeds off to help the slaves. At the facility, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan engage the attackers. Although vastly outnumbered, Obi-Wan enters a battle meditation state and begins to turn the tide of the fight with his master. In the facet, Rahara buys the slaves time to get cover while she takes on the Blackguard foot soldiers. Suddenly, she sees approaching ships on the horizon and, distracted, is shot out of the sky by one of the soldiers below. The Blackguards begin to retreat as they realize royal guards have come to the aid of the Jedi, and Qui-Gon makes a run for the downed facet, attempting to save Rahara. This is one of the more action-packed chapters, uh, and a, a little bit of next chapter as well. Did you, ha did you have any kind of uh, first thoughts um, on chapter 29 before we kind of dive into the key points? Yeah, I think we were talking a little bit about it off air, but I think my favorite thing um, was just that, you know, you gave me the opportunity to talk about 29 because that was the first time in this book where if you compare it to a Star Wars series, it was a cliffhanger. It was just, oh, yeah. you know, the action you could tell it was just about to start um, with these guards, the black guards approaching Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. So I, you know, I'm all for, you know, sing Jedi be Jedi. So it was yeah. super cool just to, you know, to picture it. And I think one of the cool things was we've seen Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon in those situations in the movies. So you don't have to imagine it as much as you yeah. do with other parts of the book. So uh, that was definitely one of my favorite parts about 29 and 30. Oh, for sure. And, and how they end up kind of fighting in sync really for one of the first times, because I remember at the in the first chapter of the book when they were on Teth um, and they were fighting like the Hut soldiers, Obi-Wan misunderstood Qui-Gon's instructions and like jeopardized the whole mission. And, you know, really any kind of engagement that they've had leading up to this moment in the book, it's it's not been fully coordinated or in sync. There's all, They've always been kind of out of step to some degree, whether that's by their own doing or kind of outside forces influencing how they have to act. But here... And I, and I guess really more in 30, but starting in 29, uh, they, they start to really get on the same page in their combat. Uh, and it's it's a beautiful sight to, to behold, as Rahara will comment, uh, you know, down the into the chapter. But when it starts off, Pax and Rahara, they're seeing that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon in this facility are under attack. Um, and, and, you know, Pax is, as Pax does, trying to convince Rahara, you know, hey, we can't be risking our skins. You know, yeah. Qui-Gon said, don't put yourselves in danger. We can easily leave but we see Rahara's compassion just as you know we've seen Qui-Gon's compassion time and time again in this book where she says quote it's not just Zerka scum in the facility the people they've enslaved are there too and then she says she can't let them die unable to defend themselves and really you know I, I've been on the Rahara hype train this whole book but she's She's the, she's just the best. Oh, she really is. And it goes back to what you said about her having compassion. I think that's been evident the entire book. Um, you know, her and Pax have, they have, definitely have a strange relationship because you see how it starts where there's no, no romantic feeling you get at all. And to the yeah. point we're at, it's almost like you can't really call it romance, but it's just their connection together. It's, yeah. it's very, uh, 
you know, for lack of better terms, it's very it's very pure how they how they view yeah. each other now. Yeah, and and there's a, a small moment from from Pax here where he's he's been understanding more and more throughout the book how much he appreciates her company and how yeah. kind of she sees him as no one else has before. Um, and you know, he's in in this. Uh, at this point, he's like, quote, in the mood for companionship and entertainment uh, and <laughs> notes that Rahara had been in the cafe, like snacking for some time now. And first of all, she's got the right idea. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, exactly. But, you know, just a progression throughout the book of him appreciating her presence more and more. And unfortunately, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone, uh, as we'll yeah. come to to discuss. But um, I, I like this moment before... Rahara leaves in the facet. Uh, Pax is trying without success to kind of tell her that the odds are against her. And she has like her version of never tell me the odds when she says, quote, I don't need exact figures. I need to get down there. And I was like, that's a little parallel there from, from, you know, C-3PO telling Han and then droid Pax uh, telling Rahara there. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Especially with his background with with droid. So he's definitely not going to spit out uh, what is it? Three thousand seven hundred twenty-one to one. I think it is. That is. I've seen probably it on probably it. <laughs> I've seen it a couple times on Twitter. I'm trying to remember it. And I would be doing C-3PO a disservice if I didn't say the exact number that he gave Han Solo. Hey, listeners, this is Editing Andrew. I've just got to correct Nick here. He was really close. He said three thousand seven hundred twenty-one to one, but what C-3PO said was 3,720 to 1. So he was one number off. That's still really impressive, but no one ever told me to not tell him the odds. So, Nick, if you're listening, it's actually 3,720 to 1. Now, let's get back to the show. So he's not going to spit out a number like that, but I, I do like that parallel. And I actually yeah. hadn't really noticed that until you until you pointed it out. That's interesting. I probably didn't notice that until I was going back through the book <laughs> for the second time around for the show. So yeah. uh, just the things we catch here and there. But uh, that that's also too quick how you're able to pull that number out of your uh, out of your mind. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if if you might be a, be a droid as well. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm trying to get some. You know, Galaxy's Edge they they do a good job putting droids together. So definitely trying to have one. Yeah. Around the house, yeah, that would be incredible. Oh, <laughs> Just have 100%. a three PO unit. Yep, um, <laughs> I'm an R two guy personally. Okay, yeah, I yeah. Mean- I've been fluctuating between like it's just a constant power struggle at the top between BB-8 and R2. I just really? I love them both. <laughs> I hear you. They both have um, very different uh, personalities. They do. Yeah, they do. They do. They they both have some sass and can back up their words with some punches, but in different ways. hundred <laughs> percent. BB-8 is probably more. Um, more merchable. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. For um, sure. But down at the facility, uh, you know, the Jedi are engaging with the Black Guards and Qui-Gon, you know, because he knows that the first time they fought these soldiers, they tried using their lightsabers against them and they were totally ineffective. So he picks up a blaster that was dropped on the ground by one of the soldiers and fires at them, but the the shields aren't affected by blasters as well. And really at this point, you know, lightsabers don't work, blasters don't work. How exactly are they going to get past this problem? Like, if they are planning to distribute these shields at some point, which it seems like that could be a a good strategy for them, the implications could be huge. You know, lightsabers nor personal blasters are even scratch them. Like, the implications are pretty massive if they're able to get these shields out to the larger galaxy. Oh, 100%. And I think, 
you know, going off of recent Star Wars, right when I read this, I just compared it. <laughs> I just compared <laughs> it to uh, the Dark Troopers in the Mandalorian because yeah. we see Beskar can't do anything to them. You know, it, it helps block them, but you know, we saw Din go very, very heavy at them for yeah. a solid couple minutes, and he could, only at one, and he could barely get through. Yeah. Um, then obviously, you know, we see the lightsaber just demolish them so yeah. <laughs> they are different in that sense but going off of the dark troopers and beskar it's compared i compared it a lot to beskar as well where din can hold his own without a uh you know without the dark saber just with his yeah just with his suit and that spear so i i compared it a lot to those and i know while we were watching the mandalorian i thought a lot of how if more people had beskar th it would be a much yeah. different game so you know, the implications, like you said, they, they could be dire because it's almost like what Jin says, where you give this type of power to someone, you know, it, it's not as crazy as the Death Star or anything like that. Yeah. But you give that type of power to someone where they're yeah. basically impenetrable, um, you know, a lot can go wrong. Yeah, especially when like the top peacekeepers in the galaxy, unless they use the force um, in, in some in some other way are pretty much, you know, it's just a, a, a time bomb of when, just when they make a mistake. Because they can only block these blasters for so long. Um, yeah. And that's a great connection with the Dark Troopers and really Din through his whole arsenal at that thing and, and <laughs> no success at all. Um, no, not, not at all. I like all. that point. Um, and so, you know, Obi-Wan is starting to get discouraged and he takes some cover, but he sees that Qui-Gon is still, he's remaining standing. He's just deflecting the soldier's blasters. And I have this quote here um, from Obi-Wan's thoughts when he's watching his master. Uh, I can read, let's see, quote, he expected Qui-Gon to do the same to take cover, but instead his master kept fighting. His robe and hair spun with every move he made. And when Obi-Wan glimpsed his face, he saw only serenity, complete calm. I am one with the Force, Obi-Wan thought, recalling an old saying of the Guardians of the Wills. The Force is with me. And on one hand, you know, we see Qui-Gon yet again, just totally in his element. I got chills reading that. Just Same. We, like you said earlier, we can picture exactly what this looks like. We've seen it in The Phantom Menace and just calm in the face of adversity, just like we saw in The Phantom Menace. It's just, it's on point from what we know. Definitely, and we see Obi Wan get that level uh, pretty pretty quick after that. Yeah. But you were uh, spot on when you said it gave you chills because I, I automatically think of Rogue One again. And I'm sorry, I'm making yeah. so many different oh, no, comparisons, <laughs> but you know that's what they were that's what they were going towards. Exactly. You know? I'm one with the Force. The Force is with me. Obviously, we have uh, Chirrut Imway saying that yeah. repeatedly throughout the movie. And you think of a blind man who only uses the Force and how yeah. I'd, I'd say how serene he was um, with his oh, actions sure. and how, how fluent he was just by using the Force and not being able to see, along with Kane and Jarrus. So you know, we, we see these glimpses of Force wielders that, a lot like Qui-Gon, are very calm in those situations because they're yeah. in that sort of trance where the Force is guiding them. It, it Life and death aren't, you know, that's not a, it, what, what did they say? It's not a thing. They're, life and they're, death we're all the same, the same. Yeah. yeah so life and death are are the same so it, it doesn't matter to them and they're just feel like fighting for the greater good yeah it, it's you know with the force with the forces guiding their every movement like that it 
it all becomes just you know just just fluid and just just really in sync with the universe that's what that's what it is because yep. um, because you're right and, and and you had touched on this where we see an important moment for obi-wan where he's finally realizing this lesson that qui-gon has been trying to teach him over and over and over again to connect to everything around him through that meditative trance you know being purely guided by the force and, you know, the quote that you touched on as well, quote, life and death were all the same within the force. There was nothing to hide from, nothing to distract him. At last he fought as his master had taught him. Uh, I, I do have a, a thought to, to that last bit, but, you know, you've gone through the book so far and we've seen Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon out of touch at so many points of time. And here we're seeing finally... Obi-Wan sees a huge lesson that Qui-Gon has been trying to, to get him to see. He opens himself up to the Force like this and kind of enters that same dance that Qui-Gon does in this meditative, you know, battle meditation. Yeah. Did you have any kind of thoughts on, on, on what that means to see Obi-Wan finally get to that same point as Qui-Gon? Yeah, uh, before I get into that, when you said about he's joining this dance, I think it was really interesting how Rahara pretty yeah. much described it as a dance, seeing them fight like that, seeing them as a dance. So I, I really like that. But when we see Qui-Gon, they have a very unique relationship at the beginning of the book. And I, going into the book, didn't know it. I did not know that Same. they were so distant. <laughs> uh, because we see them in The Phantom Menace, and we see them have to, we see them separate each other when you know Qui-Gon died. So you see how that affected Obi-Wan and it it really makes you realize how close they were in the phantom menace because you picture yeah. them almost not exactly the same emotions as obi-wan and anakin but they are master and apprentice For so sure. starting this book and them not having that relationship it was definitely it definitely threw me off a lot yeah because the whole book i'm wondering when is it going to click when are they get, you know it's master and apprentice when are they yeah. going to form that bond where it, it, where their relationship is on a different level, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, for sure. Because I, uh, like you, when I first read the book, I, uh, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, I did not, actually I've mentioned this in a future episode because I <laughs> recorded the one after. Um, when I first read the book, I did not, I wasn't expecting them to be out of sync because all we had known from them to, you know, for, for most of the time in The Phantom Menace was them being in sync, you know, being master and apprentice, where a lot of the time in this book, it's felt like master versus apprentice or something. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and to finally see them, you know, take an important step together. And, and I also was reminded here, uh, you know, where Obi-Wan's saying that there's nothing to hide from, nothing to distract him, you know, that he was then able to fight freely. I was reminded of, of when Kanan was fighting the Grand Inquisitor in Rebels, where he says, I have nothing left to fear, and then was able to really take his fighting and, and dueling to the next step in that in that fight. And really when they're able to let go of that last obstacle in their path, whether it's, you know, distractions around you, you know, preventing you from kind of becoming in touch with the Force or kind of that fear holding you back. Once, you know, Obi-Wan gets rid of those obstacles and Kanan gets rid of those in, in Rebels, it's like that's when they're able to take that step and it's it's really beautiful man i could not have described it as well as you just did <laughs> i don't know how to follow that man <laughs> well we could keep moving uh yeah. oh no no that was that was no, incredible no. <laughs> that was incredible like, yeah of course and, and you know just like i was telling you before the show you know the way you've 
set this show up as a whole and set up, you know, just these specific chapters. I think it helps, you know, not only me, but if if anybody else is like me, it helps us understand the books because even this this quick outline that you gave me before the show, it helped me really dial in on the chapters and then hearing you um, you know, go more in depth to it. Prop props to you, man. That was awesome. Uh, but, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, but going to your point, um you know, I think we compare, like you said, how Kanan was able to channel the force and let those barriers go. I sure. think we can compare that to life as a whole a lot, you know, because yeah. I'm a I'm a very religious person. And obviously, Star Wars, especially the Jedi, is a very religion yeah. heavy thing. It's a religion. Um, <laughs> exactly. So being able to, you know, break those barriers, not care about everything around you and really live in that moment. Yeah. Um, I think that's what serenity and peace is really about. So you see these warriors that almost in a, you know, the way that we see monks, the the way they're trying to achieve yeah. that level of peace. Um, you know, I think we can definitely compare it to a lot of the things we do in our day to day. Yeah, it's totally like, um, you know, because I think what Qui-Gon is experiencing here in Obi-Wan as well, it's it's very much kind of like a spiritual moment yeah. where they're becoming literally in touch with the fabric of, of, the, of the universe um, and, and definitely can, can draw some connections to, you know, uh, prayer or meditation in, in our world where yeah. really just kind of, like you said, being in the moment and kind of letting go and kind of just, you know, letting the God, you know, letting your God or, you know, the universe or energy or, you know, whatever, uh, one's beliefs are really kind of touch your heart. Uh, that's, that's, I love that. That's, that's a beautiful point. That's a beautiful point. Appreciate it. And so, uh, we're then kind of brought into Rahara's point of view. Um, and you know, she, she reaches the scene and she's able to, uh, buy the slave some time, literally trying to, to run these, uh, black guards over with the, with the facet. She's yeah. like driving pretty low to the ground, literally trying to physically run them over, which is pretty cool to, uh, to see. Um, but she realizes that, you know, while the slaves are kind of trying to find whatever cover they can until she's able to buy them some time, that the Zerka personnel had locked the facility, the doors are, are shut, and now that all of them were inside, uh, you know, to safety, and, you know, not really caring if they left the slaves out there to die, uh, exactly. which maybe might be questionable business practices, like, you know, you're letting your, your labor force just, you know, potentially die out there. But, you know, business aside, it's just a really just, uh, it, it just disgusts me time and time again, you know, how they're you know they're they're devaluing and degrading of human life uh you know with slavery uh and really just uh they, they care nothing for the well-being and the livelihood and, and the lives of these slaves you know while they're cooped up to safety they can leave everyone else outside to die uh and it's just not great yeah no and i have i have two two kind of points of going off of that regardless whether it's been in you know reality or the star sure. wars world it's been clear that the slavery they, you're you're absolutely right business practices aside because why, yeah. why do you want to why do you not care about the people that are doing your work for you um but there's no there's no empathy on yeah. the one side they they really don't care about the the sentiency of these you know of these beings and you know i think that's really clear and i think rahara being on the side of experiencing slavery knowing knowing what it feels like to yeah. have your life literally not cared about i think you know that leads her every action especially in this moment because i think she said one time i can't remember if it was before or after this so um you might you would know better than i do uh she says i would rather 
have any other fate, whether it be dying in the stars, by, yeah. dying somewhere else. But she said she prayed to the force or begged the force that she would never go into slavery again. Yeah. So that really stuck with me. Um, and clearly that, that leads her actions. You know, because from her point of view, and, and like you're saying, you know, literally begging the force anything but slavery, you know, whether it's death or uh, or whatever other fate, anything is better than being a slave. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it shows just how, how terrible the practice is, and it shows the toll that it takes on, on one's humanity, really, where, you know, they don't care about if, if they're just, you know, tortured or killed or anything— being in a point where your life is less than nothing to someone else, uh, it's it's undeserving of, of anyone, and it's just totally inhumane. And, and she realizes, um, you know, she's, she's realized that and come to terms with that. And here she doesn't care if she gets shot down, which she does, but, you know, she's willing to, to put her life on the line for people she may or may not know uh, because she knows how bad it is for them. She's lived it. She's experienced it. And, and anything is better for her than being a slave. Uh, it's uh, and, and like you said, it's driving her actions here, and she really is doing something valiant, something courageous, something brave. Um, I think I just said three synonyms in a row for the same thing, but uh, you know, it, it just hey, speaks no to her count. character. Yeah, uh, <laughs> apparently me. Um, yeah, definitely. But uh, the chapter ends with the royal guards approaching, and Qui Gon sees Rahara get shot down, and he's trying to get to her. But I can give my summary for chapter thirty. Sounds good. And we can keep rolling. Good deal. As his master runs to help the facet, Obi-Wan notices the facility's defenses have activated. Zerka droidicas arrive at the scene and take aim at the unsuspecting Jedi Master. Obi-Wan reacts just in time and engages the droidicas before they can shoot Qui-Gon. In the cockpit of the grounded facet, Rahara realizes the facility's evacuation protocol has commenced. As she attempts to escape her ship, a security droid stops her. Through facial recognition, it matches her to Zerka Records and takes her back into Zerka custody. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan work flawlessly as a team to defeat the two droidicas, but are dismayed to see Rahara is missing from the facet's cockpit. After Pax joins them from the Merricks and Captain Darren arrives with the Royal Guards, the lone jewel thief is visibly shaken when Darren confirms Zerka's new facial recognition technology. Once again, Rahara Wick has been enslaved by Zerka. What happens uh, in this chapter? I think in my notes in my book, I wrote in all caps, NO! Um, <laughs> just because eh, we see Rahara get taken back into, into Zerka control. What were your thoughts on, on chapter 30? Well, I think, you know, going off of that, something we just talked about is she would have rather had any other fate. So seeing her get put back in that storyline it's just you really feel for her character because you and i will never know truly how that feels but getting close to these characters and you know props to claudia gray she is an incredible author um just getting us to feel the way she's feeling that was yeah. um that was pretty incredible yeah it, for sure if, if incredible you can say it in a sad way because it was like incredibly emotional more incredibly I say. emotional yeah, yeah. It, it, the, the way that claudia really tears out her heartstrings. I don't know how she does it. I don't particularly enjoy it, but it's powerful <laughs> writing. Uh, this is actually my first Claudia Gray book as well, so... Really? Yeah. Welcome to the show, my man. Yeah, uh, so I've heard she, great things. Yeah, I 
can, I can confirm uh, <laughs> that the Claudia hype train keeps rolling through this episode too. Yeah, uh, but she's great. I would really uh, recommend uh, Lost Stars. Definitely, um, really. That's consistently a lot of people's favorite Star Wars book in general. Um, wow, I gotta, I gotta. I but it really depends, I think, on on your taste and in, in in Star Wars books. Um, we can talk about that uh, yeah. another time. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And so Qui Gon is running to the fighter, and Obi Wan notices that these weathered droidicas uh, arrived on the scene, and I did not expect to see Rolly Boys. Um, Me you neither. Know, <laughs> like what? Zerka has droidicas. Like, are they the like a predecessor to or affiliated with the Trade Federation? Because I, I think aren't you know battle droids like that kind of specific to the Trade Federation? A hundred percent. No, I definitely they definitely were exclusive to the Trade Federation. Uh, I think if I had to make any type of guess, that it would have been sort of like it was in the Clone Wars, where uh, I can't remember the character's name. It was a young character though. There had been a battle, and the droids had been left behind, and he programmed him you know, pretty much to do whatever he wanted. He was kind of yeah. living the life down there. But um, <laughs> I th- I can only imagine that that's how they got him was through some sort of fight or cleaning up after the leftovers of a fight. That's yeah. That was the only guess I had on that. I was totally blindsided by it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I did not expect, like, I think out of shoots in the ground, like these droidicas just roll out, <laughs> uh, which is cool. Like, you you love seeing more connective tissue between this and, and later content. Um, but they start attacking Qui-Gon, even though he was helping save their facility, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, I, I guess that's just their programming. Anyone they're not familiar with, like, just shoot them, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, typical Zerka, uh, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but in the facet, Rahara is trying to escape, and she's wondering to herself as she's seeing the evacuation protocol like in action. You know, Zerka is rounding up the slaves and kind of transporting them out of there as quick as they can. She's wondering if any of the slaves being loaded onto the Zerka crafts were people she knew. And, you know, whether that's likely or unlikely, I don't think that matters. Like, what's impressive here to me is that she chose to put her life on the line for people she didn't know and just trying to save anyone she can from the horrible fate of slavery we you know we touched on that in in uh, chapter 29 but i just I, w- I was struck by that you know whether she knew them or not she was willing to to go through what she went through and and what she will go through but it you know it didn't make a difference to her no, definitely not. And like you said, it I don't it didn't matter to her whether she knew them or whether, you know, she had no clue who they were. I think that just shows a lot about who she is as a character. Um and we've we've talked about it a lot up to this point that she knows what that's like to have yeah. the wor- in her mind the worst possible fate for life. So that shows the compassion, the empathy on her part that she would be willing to do that for, you know, these just random people for the most part. Yeah. And I think, you know, here, once the droid, the security droid reaches her and um, he, it even jabs a needle into the back of her hand, Im- implanting a, a temporary tag. Yeah. You know, the one that she had literally cut her hand open to remove when she used to be a slave when she was younger. Uh, you know, a, a tag, a new tag is back in her hand and it grabs her and takes her away. And we get this thought that we had alluded to earlier, but I think I just want to read it just because the gravity of it, um, you know, where she's thinking to herself, uh, quote, Rahara had been prepared to die in deep space, to go to jail as a jewel thief, to run afoul with the huts, to get shot down by blackguards. She'd accepted all the dangers her life contained, 
except one. The only one she had begged the Force to spare her was a return to slavery. So much for the Force. What were your thoughts on that? I think that's, again, comparing it to life, that's like a lot of people who are going through a hard time giving up in, you know, whatever you believe in, whether it be God, you know, an overwhelming idea of God, not overwhelming, and... um What's the word I'm looking Over, for? Like an encompassing? Yeah, yeah, or? exactly. Like an all-encompassing God, whether it be Jesus, Allah, it, whatever, whatever it is. When you're going through a hard time, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of people quit before they get, uh, before they're able to get past those times. Sure. Um, and I think that's when they give up on this this figure that they that they believe in, that they pray to, that they apparently beg to. Um, so her giving up in the force is pretty much like us saying, you know, so much for, so much for Jesus helping me so much for God helping me. And I don't think that's ever a great way to view it because the force, just like our religions and this, you know, uh, luminous, uh, force, whatever it is, (laughs) this thing, like whatever it is, it's, it puts everything in place for a reason, whether it be, you know, whether it helped that individual person or the galaxy as a whole, the force always, has the is is the true way so it it is unfortunate that in those last moments she gives up on it but you can't blame her because she's literally going back into slavery uh again after seeing the sweet daylight getting you know breaking free she's going back so it's almost you asked the question would would she have been better off never escaping before this yeah being able to taste that freedom it's really jarring stuff uh and like you said you know we cannot blame her for what she's thinking right now he's literally going back into a fate in her mind worse than death um you know after like that was the only thing she had been begging this this power to spare her from uh and right now it seems like she is you know being kind of just reclaimed by it you know grasped grasped in its claws again um it's really jarring stuff uh it's it's trying for her belief you know if she if she does really believe in the force or if she tried to or it's just um you know you can't blame her at, at this point um no not at especially all. after what she has done to really try to to do good to save the the other slaves um and for it to end this way for her right now it's it's really a uh, heartbreaking but we do get a cool moment when we're pulled back to Qui-Gon's point of view, um, you know, where they, where they pull off this fantastic move when they're fighting the Droidicas. Um, He calls for Obi-Wan to, uh, quote, triangulate, and he notices uh, Obi-Wan's face light up, uh, quote, for once understanding Qui-Gon completely, which is just so meta yeah. <laughs> like from, from Claudia. But um, basically... He and Obi-Wan kind of go back to back, each deflecting bolts from a different droidica. And on Qui-Gon's command, they like jump to the midpoint of the droidicas and duck and they just shoot each other, yeah. uh, which was really, it was just a really just cool moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think that's, you know, stuff we've seen in the Clone Wars. I think we've seen that a lot through Star Wars. So being able to see it again and have yeah. Claudia paint the picture so vividly, I think that was really impressive. And it was it was definitely a, you know, a, a action packed moment. For sure. It, it was really great because uh, when I read it, I was like, OK, where is this going? And then, you know, Obi-Wan's on the same page and they pull off this great move. It was it was just fun to read. Yeah, um, for sure. And so, you know, when Captain Darren and the guards end up joining them after the Black Guards uh, retreat away, uh, you know, Qui-Gon's thinking to himself, 
that Fannery had clearly learned to defy rail when the stakes were high enough. And, you know, it, it begs the question to me, you know, maybe Qui-Gon's making an, an assumption here that this was Fannery in defiance of rail, um, you know, or, or not. But um, and it really begs the question, if rail knew that Qui-Gon was in danger on the moon, would he have objected to sending help? Or is Qui-Gon making an assumption, you know, or, or do we think that Qui-Gon's assumption is spot on? Do we think Rail would be okay with them being in danger and, you know, kind of just being against sending them any reinforcements to help? One thing I've noticed about Rail is his singular care is, is Fanry, you know, so as long as she's safe, I don't really think he ventures mm-hmm. too far outside of that. I'd like to think that, you know, being a Jedi, he would still follow those those ideals to want to help especially you know someone at the level you're at with with two other jedi Uh, so i'd like to think that he would but i don't i don't think we're we're able to know for sure but it is unfortunate that qui-gon's mind immediately goes to this was against rail so and you know so that that is an unfortunate part you know and based on what's happened so far like we can there there is a lot of tension between Qui-Gon and Rail yeah. uh, I can see why Qui-Gon would think that because you know Rail has pretty much effectively just cut ties with Qui-Gon you know once he realized that Qui-Gon was kind of advocating for the opposition against the treaty so I can see why Qui-Gon would think that but it just still seems very drastic that Rail would be willing to kind of condemn Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan to whatever fate on the moon just because they, or Qui-Gon at least, had opposed him politically. It's it's dark, but part of me is like, you know, he's he might be right. He yeah. might be right. And they do notice uh, when they're leaving that there are these large kind of gouge marks in the earth where the colon crystals were. And so we know that the Black Guards need the colon crystals. They came there to salvage them uh, when Zerka was trying to trash them. So that's, you know, a little tidbit that we get. Um, we really get this heartbreaking moment when Pax joins them. Yeah. And he's asking, you know, what happened? And uh, we, we get a nice moment from Captain Darren where he asks if, you know, Pax was talking about a, a slave tag. And, you know, cl- obviously Pax is alarmed because, you know, a, a royal guard is, is asking kind of uh, into his personal life or, you know, because he's a thief. Would he be turning himself in or not? But, you know, but Darren says, you know, he swears that he won't share this information with a Zerker representative, which which was a great moment. But he does confirm, yeah, they have this facial recognition. She's been taken back. Um, yeah. And I, I've got this this quote here from what Qui-Gon uh, notices from, from Pax's body language after Darren tells them this. I'll, I'll read it. Quote, Qui-Gon expected Pax to erupt in fury, to turn on one or both of them or stalk into the woods without another word. Instead, he simply stood there in the mud, his eyes blank and fearful. Pax resembled nothing so much as a lost child. He didn't move until he spotted something in the mud. Then he knelt and picked up a blue glove, which he folded almost tenderly between both hands. And we we know, Qui-Gon doesn't know, we know that's one of Rahara's gloves that he had given her as a yes. gift. But to see someone who has rarely shown emotion, who has rarely reacted really outside of this analytical, logical thinking, to see Pax kind of just defeated like this, it really... It, it it hurts to read. Yeah, because it shows you how far 
Pax and Rahara's relationship has come up to this point that it is literally losing the most important person in the world to him and knowing that it's by the one fate that she didn't want that hurts him in a much different way than it hurts her because he knows the pain she's going through and yeah um one thing I'd like to point out about that too is when Qui-Gon knows he can almost sense that he doesn't need to be watching this moment anymore which kind of shows you how personal that is to Pax and how Qui-Gon and I'd assume Obi-Wan too could even sense that yeah I mean they know that there are partners but I think you know kind of thief partners business partners (laughs) but I think like you're right like Qui-Gon can pick up that this is deeper than that yeah um judging by Pax's reaction which is a really by Pax's standards a really strong reaction um you know not out of anger or rage you know he's not yelling or anything but he is just defeated yeah um the perfect word yeah (laughs) it's uh it's really it's heartbreaking a couple of really heartbreaking moments in this chapter with Pax and O'Hara with you know two of the the the, really the main characters in the story going through kind of their own hell Um, yeah and I think it was interesting how Claudia was able to make the build these characters up while continuing the story of Obi Wan and Qui Gon because yeah. if you think about it, I think their roles. If if she wanted to focus solely on Qui Gon and Obi Wan, she could have done that, and their role roles at that point might have been able to be expendable, where you don't have to go into the detail of you know, these people that are helping Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan out, but she decides to build two characters up, make you feel uh, like you know them, almost like you know these other characters. Um, She gets you attached to them, and then, like you said, she crushes it. So She um, just pulls the rug out from under our feet. (laughs) Yeah, and you are not the first person to say that she does that a lot, so it's kind of got me worried about reading more books. (laughs) <laughs> worried in a in a great way i don't know i would still yeah. recommend her writing but yeah she sure. does write some powerful powerful stories 100 uh, percent. your heartstrings are are not done being torn by her <laughs> all right i'm ready for it or trying to get yeah <laughs> but um so that's that's pretty much how chapter 30 ends i can give my summary for 31 and we'll discuss that one sounds good with two days left until the coronation Princess Fanry tries on different crowns in her quarters. Rail Avaros knocks at the door, furious with Fanry for sending the royal guards to help the Jedi on the moon. In calm defiance of the Lord Regent, Fanry affirms the Jedi are under her protection and defends her actions. At the palace, Qui-Gon is deeply troubled at Rahara's fate at the hands of Zerka and seeks seclusion in order to meditate. He finds a seldom-used tower but is surprised to find Rail on the terrace. The two Jedi talk about Rail's past and what Pijal has meant to him ever since losing Nimpiana. Needing to blow off some steam, Rail asks to spar with his old friend. The two duel on the terrace while talking about their former master, Dooku. On the moon, Obi-Wan receives a call from the Jedi Council. Uh... This is a, a shorter chapter. Um, really, the the heart of it, I think, is is between Qui Gon and Rail on the terrace. Uh, what were your thoughts on chapter thirty one before we dive into it? I personally, I really enjoyed this one. Like you said, it was a little shorter, but 
I always love the conversation of light and dark, and I know we're going to get in that towards the, the end of this chapter, but that was easily my favorite part, is when you start comparing the light and the dark and how to choose which one and kind of tethering that line. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting seeing that from Qui-Gon's point of view because he's one of the most interesting Jedi there are, um, in my opinion. So Same. that was definitely <laughs> you know my main point on Chapter 31. Sure. And that is uh, their conversation. It's deep. It's It's got a lot of substance to it. And, you know, I, I think that is uh, really my big takeaway, too. Um, so but, but it starts off in Fanry's quarters and, you know, she's trying on uh, different crowns. And, you know, we get a little bit of Pijali lore, uh, you know, when when Rail shows up and tries to enter, you know, Minister Orth is one of the kind of the, the ladies of the court there with Fanry. And, you know, she lets him know that this is improper for him to see her because she has her she's not wearing her head cloth yeah um, and because fanner doesn't have her head cloth uh you know it's this kind of pajali tradition where only at maturity did pajali women show their hair uh which you know I th- it's it's a small bit of lore but i thought that was pretty cool and you know ties to um you know some faith traditions uh in in our world um i think with i think with hijabs um but it was just it was a Cool little tidbit. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. Uh, but yeah, no, he. We do get this confirmation from what we were wondering. You know, if Rail would actually be against sending help to Qui Gon, you know, because you know Rail is, uh, you know, he's he's insisting that Qui Gon has been screwing up the treaty, the hyperspace corridor, the coronation, and that Fanery stands up to him here. You know, she says that no, the, they're under my protection. I did the right thing, and and it's really incredulous to think that just because Qui-Gon's turned against the treaty, Rail apparently doesn't care if he gets killed on the moon. You know, it's it's pretty shocking, but props to Fanry for choosing to do what's right in the face of, she notes it's the first time that Rail has been angry and furious towards her, and she's keeping her composure and, 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 and kind of standing by what she did. Yeah, we definitely got the answer to our our rail question in this chapter. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's really unfortunate that it has gotten to this point where he is able to just let a fellow Jedi die because of their differences politically. Um, But in terms of Fanry, I think that's how how much you can tell she's grown since the book has started. Because up until this point, I've pictured her as a younger girl and an adolescent that really doesn't understand life like somebody that's older does. You know, there's a lot more sure. when you're when you're young regardless of if you're royalty or not. When you're young, you're still a kid. You're still a kid. There's yeah. a lot you don't know about life and it's interesting to see her in this first situation where she has to take that leadership like she's going to have to do very soon. Um it's interesting to see that she did the right thing and I guess started her path down adulthood the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it is a big step for her. You know, we we've kind of gotten hints at earlier times in the book that she is more, you know, she's smarter and kind of more aware of the situation around her than she might let on. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a huge moment because really she and Rail have been on the same page on the same side throughout the book, but this is really a, a kind of a breaking point between them where, you know, she takes this really important step where she is defiant towards really the most influential adult figure in her life. And and she's able to still uh, really, you know, show him who's, you know, soon to be queen, show yeah. him who's princess. Uh, it was it was a great moment from 
from Fannery. And so in the palace, you know, Qui-Gon is, I think uh, we get this note that his, quote, spirit is in turmoil uh, at Rahara's fate. You know, he's deeply, deeply moved and, and troubled by what's happened to her. And my thought was, when I read that, just his spirit being in turmoil, it's incredible how much he's hurting over someone he's only known for a short while, maybe a week, uh, you know, a number of days. And it really is kind of reminiscent on how much he was moved by Anakin and Shmi in The Phantom Menace despite barely knowing them. It's just we see the heart and the compassion from Qui-Gon, and he doesn't need to know these people for for long at all, for him, you know, for his spirit to be really moved by their fates. And it's just, it's... It's spot on from Claudia in writing his character, and it's just so great from from Qui-Gon. Yeah, definitely. And Qui-Gon, like I mentioned, is one of the most unique Jedi we've seen um, or read or listened to throughout the entire Star Wars galaxy, Um, especially when you look – when you uh, go back to the time of the Republic and you see how the Jedi Order fell. If there were more Jedi like Qui-Gon, I feel like it would have been – it would have been much different. Maybe there wouldn't have needed to be a chosen one, but – Qui-Gon doesn't decide, Qui-Gon follows the force, that's very clear, and I think this book is the first time where we really see him evolve into that, evolve down that path of just following the force and knowing that sometimes you have to, you have to break the, the code, you have to, maybe not break it, but you have to walk that tethered line as to not break the code and still do what you can to help other beings that are in need so you compared it to Shmi and Anakin and that's that's spot on because we see him obviously his main concern is he thinks this is the chosen one so he needs to free him but he automatically goes to saving Shmi as well even though he knows most likely that Anakin won't get to see Shmi because it's it's forbidden of a Jedi but that he still wants to free her regardless of if she can't live on Coruscant or um, you know whatever might happen to her he just doesn't want this fate for Shmi either so it yeah. definitely shows a lot about Qui-Gon's character really like you know because Anakin was the the chosen one or one of the chosen ones depending on how you <laughs> interpret the prophecy yeah. but you know really and I, I think this ties in with what you're saying is that it doesn't matter if you're the chosen one it doesn't matter if you're the mother of a, of a slave child it doesn't matter if you're a jewel thief Qui-Gon will have compassion for anyone, you know, and he's trying to do what's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and earlier in the book, he has, has talked about the code, trying to live by the code as more of, you know, guiding each individual in unique ways rather than being this constrictive, binding set of rules that just encompasses everyone the same way. Uh, and I think we're seeing really that that individual take on the code and his spirituality uh progress in different ways and manifest in different ways in this book um but uh he he, he ends up going to this isolated terrace or he thought it was isolated because he runs into rail and you know they're talking a bit about what pijal has meant to rail uh, and he's admitted to qui-gon that he asked the council to never grant him another padawan but they knew he wanted to kind of make things right with another kid so that's why they sent him to pijal and you know, with Fannery. And when Qui-Gon is asked if the time with Fannery has helped, and he says to Qui-Gon, quote, some, but it doesn't fix it. Nothing's ever going to fix it. And as much flack as I've given Rail, 
in this season. And I've given him a lot of flack, especially ever since he's kind of turned on Qui-Gon just on the flick of a switch. You know, we see how heavy the burden that he's carrying here, like how much pain he's carrying, and that really every day he's hurting, you know, maybe not hurting more and more, but every day he's hurting because of this this burden that he's been carrying ever since what happened on the advent. Well, it's a lot like a parent losing a child, um, especially yeah. in the situation that Rail and his apprentice were put in. He feels almost responsible for what happened and you know trying to look at it as human as humane as possible um you can understand why he asked the council not to give him another another padawan so he doesn't put himself in that position again do i think it was smart by the council in terms of trying to help rail absolutely um but on the flip side rail knows that that's what they did regardless of the fact that he asked them not to and although she might not be an apprentice you know, I think he just might be worried about doing that again, clearly, because it affects him and, you know, is a heavy, heavy weight on his life every day, like you mentioned. Um, so I definitely think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're seeing kind of the reverse or kind of like the consequences of him really going out of his way with Fanry to make sure that nothing like what happened with Nim happens with uh, with Fanry. And we're seeing the consequences here with really how he has thrown, you know, kind of fuel on the fire uh, of the situation on Pijal because of how far he's willing to go for Fanry and how he's just willing to kind of blind himself towards anything else that's happening, uh, you know, with, with Qui-Gon here and the opposition and such. But, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard weight that he's carrying. And that's something that Claudia does so well is that, you know, we see that Rail might not be doing all the right things, but we see where he's coming from, and we can empathize with him. Um, and it's just, it's powerful character building and character writing. Uh, but we do get this really cool scene uh, when they're sparring, and, and really they're having a chat while they duel. And this kind of reminded me uh, so much of that part in the first Pirates of the Caribbean when Will Turner met Captain Jack for the first time, and they were dueling casually yeah. uh, in the kind of like the blacksmith uh, building, and they're just having a chat while they duel. Um, but this is, uh, you know, while while they're sparring, they do have this chat about Dooku and how he ended up ultimately, you know, kind of turning away from the Jedi teachings uh, and the Jedi mystics. And Qui Gon asks Rail if if he still has faith in the Jedi teachings. And from Rail's point of view, he says kind of none of it matters anyway, that really in his mind, perfect balance in the Force, as foretold by the Chosen One prophecy, means the darkness will end up just as strong as the light, in his interpretation. So really, in in his point of view, it doesn't matter what side they choose, because in the end, all of it will be even. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on kind of his take before I read Qui-Gon's response? Yeah, I, as I think a lot of people do, I like Qui-Gon's response a lot better. Um, And like you said, we can empathize with with Rail and see where he's coming from, but I think that's a very dangerous line to walk. Um, Mm. Because going back to how Rail has been acting this entire book, what we've seen from Star Wars so far and the Jedi is that an attachment like that is a very key path to the dark side. And we've seen... Uh, you know, we've seen that happen with Dooku. We've seen him make that turn. And the fact that Dooku is now inspiring these thoughts on Rail and Qui-Gon, not turning to the dark side, but that sure. the Jedi way isn't the only way, I think 
you know, Qui-Gon and Rail are on the flip sides of the coin of that, where, yeah. you know, you'll get into what Qui-Gon says, but Rail is just determined that it, it, it doesn't matter. So why, why would we worry about what side we're on? Um, I just think that's a very dangerous line of thought. Yeah, for sure. It's like, you know, so, so really his, he, he does, he wouldn't see his actions as really having any, any consequences because it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It's it, like you're saying, it's a dangerous line of thought. Um, yeah. and so I'll, I'll get into Qui-Gon's response here and it's, I told you off air, it's probably one of my favorite lines that I've ever read in Star Wars literature. So yeah. I'll, uh, I'll read it here because Rail had said, you know, it doesn't matter what side we choose. And yeah. Qui-Gon says, quote, it matters. It matters which side we choose even if there will never be more light than darkness, even if there can be no more joy in the galaxy than there is pain. For every action we undertake, for every word we speak, for every life we touch, it matters. I don't turn toward the light because it means someday I'll win some sort of cosmic game. I turn toward it because it is the light. That's powerful. <laughs> what are your th- What are your thoughts on Goodness. that? That is, like, I just want to sit back and just marinate on that. <laughs> yeah, we have to. We have to. I think the first thing that's that sticks out is him comparing it to a game. Uh, he's not doing it to win this this universal game like Rail thinks it is, where it's just always going to be a tie. No one will ever win or lose. There will always be balance, which is true in a sense. There always will be balance, but that doesn't mean that you don't pick a side. Um, You're not just supposed to stay in the middle and, like you said, not have any consequences for your actions. And I think that's where Qui-Gon is much different than Rail and a lot of species in general. Um, He moves towards the light quite simply because it's the light. It's the right thing to do. Um, And I think if history has taught us anything, if movies, uh, you know, books... you know, storytelling in general has taught us anything is that the light will always win. Yes, there will be balance, but light in the very end will be the victor. Um, so I, I think that is what kind of leads Qui-Gon's ideals moving forward. This reminded me of, of Luke's line from The Last Jedi where he says, quote, the force does not belong to the Jedi. To say that if the Jedi die, the light dies is vanity. And I think that ties in with what Qui-Gon is saying that you know he, he will act for the light every action every word he speaks everything he does is is for the light because it is the light he's not saying it's you know because this is what the code says this is what the Jedi order says because it is the light it is it is what he believes to be right and as we've seen in these chapters as we've seen in this book as we've seen in you know what happens after this book in the Phantom Menace he will do whatever it takes for the light. Not really to, to fight for the light to win. Like you said, he, he's not approaching this as if it's a contest or a game. He just does it simply because it is right and it is what the light represents. Uh, it, is, it is so Qui-Gon. I, I love it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you're, you're giving me goosebumps over here, man. It, I've it's, got chills. <laughs> yeah, and props to Claudia for being able to mm. put the force in this much more understandable um, you know, way it, 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 and especially seeing it through Qui-Gon's eyes, um, you know, it's very, it's very interesting. And it's, it's like nothing we've ever seen in Star Wars before, um, coming from a Jedi who isn't going to just follow this code. Um, because in the end, the Jedi are not the light. Like you said, they, 
you know, they think they are trying to help the light, of of course, but they are not the light. The light yeah. is the light, and that is what that's what Qui Gon's going to follow. Um, what he thinks is best for you know keeping that balance. Yeah, for sure. That you know, the Jedi are are facilitators, but you know, Qui Gon is willing to to break with them. Yeah. If you know, if he feels like doing so would be acting more in line with the light and with what's right. Um, it's a really great dive. And in one paragraph alone, it is a fantastic dive into his character and his motivations and just his mentality. It's it's strong writing. Thank you, Claudia Gray. <laughs> it is. And you can see how Dooku's kind of passed that on to him. Dooku, mm. unfortunately, chose the other side. But it's just interesting to see how Dooku has passed on those ideals and how Qui-Gon lives on pretty much the complete opposite of the spectrum. So it is yeah. very cool. And it kind of gets me thinking, you know, when we're having a conversation like this and what type of Jedi Qui-Gon is, it makes you think if he hadn't died in the Phantom Menace, would he what continue? If? Yeah, of course. I mean, we could do a whole episode <laughs> oh, on yeah, that. Whole but episode, whole would he could, would he have still stayed with the Jedi throughout his entire life? Um, because you see Dooku veer off. You see Rail, who is another, not spawn of Dooku, but I, yeah, I, was, I was thinking another spawn of Dooku. I was like, wait, that's oh, not right. That's you know, fantastic. An, another student, <laughs> yeah, student's better. Another <laughs> student of Dooku. You can see him, um, you know, kind of getting fed up with the order. So you wonder if Qui-Gon would have uh, ventured off into mm. the light more and had to step away from the Jedi because it he couldn't serve both. Yeah. I, you do have to wonder, because uh, I think if there might have been a breaking point for Qui-Gon, would it have come in the Clone Wars, you know, when kind of the Jedi were falling and straying He's away so from blind. the light? You know, it, it's... Which, uh, that That is, like you said, uh, <laughs> material for a whole other episode, yeah. which is a fantastic Definitely. conversation to have. Uh, this is so good. Um, but the deep moments, you know, keep rolling, you know, where as they finish up this kind of spar conversation... Rail kind of accuses Qui-Gon, you know, you've made mistakes, you know, that you've touched the dark, you know, he says, I think you, you've touched the dark. And Qui-Gon says, quote, yes, I have. No doubt I will again. This isn't a choice we make once and walk away from. It's the work of a lifetime. What were your thoughts on, on, on that and that, that mentality to kind of, you know, kind of straying towards and even touching the darkness, but, but treating it as a journey rather than kind of like a one-stop destination. Again, I compare that just to what we go through every day because everybody, you know, goes through dark times and every we can see that Qui-Gon has has experienced that too and it's not about succumbing to those times. It's not about um succumbing to this darkness that Rail uh mentions. It's about just getting through it and living according to the light because yeah. it they will always come back. You will never be at a point in your life where nothing bad will ever happen again. You'll you will always have this darkness. Everybody has, you know, darkness within them. So yeah. you will always have that opportunity, but it's about choosing the la the you know, the opposite. Um, yeah. so it was definitely a very, very powerful line. Um seeing that especially being that he's a Jedi that Yes, I have touched darkness, and I will, I will again. Yeah. Um, but, but like you said, <laughs> yeah, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's it's so great, um, you know. And it's been kind of a theme 
with his character in the book um, as as we've gone along where, you know, I, I do think he's spot on where just because you touch the dark doesn't mean that you'll necessarily fall to it. And he, yeah. you know, obviously does not believe that, you know, where it's not as absolute as kind of a choice, you know, yeah. will I just, you know, will I become dark or light? You know, it's, it's really like, you know, as Rahara saw him and uh, Obi-Wan dueling and kind of like, or fighting the droids, kind of like a dance, you know, it's really like a dance that they do throughout their life. It's like this, this ebb and flow as they learn about and engage with the force in, in these different ways throughout their lives. And Qui-Gon knows, yeah, uh, I'll touch the dark again, but that doesn't mean that I will fall. Uh, and I love that. I, I just, I love that. Yeah, it's it's so awesome, true. And I, I love those connections that you make to the real world. And that's, I think, the intent of when, when we read this is to be able to connect with it in these ways. That's really uh, great points by you as well. Appreciate um, it. That's what George so, wanted. Yeah, that's what George wanted. <laughs> Uh, and we get this last thought from Qui-Gon as, you know, they're kind of parting ways here. Uh, he's thinking to himself, quote, He went downstairs wondering when or if his old friend would again be guided by his principles rather than his shame. And I think that this is powerful, this is true, and it's really a testament to the tragedy of Darth Plague, uh, the tragedy <laughs> of Rael Avaros. Yeah, 100%. And we've talked about, you know, his journey up to this point a little, you know, so far. So seeing how the things in his past have affected his present and um, pretty pretty certainly his future, it is interesting to think about, and, and clearly Qui-Gon doesn't know either, whether Rail will ever truly be able to let go of what happened, let go of those you know, we've said it a couple times, those barriers, those uh, weights yeah. that are holding you down and live th with those controlling your life or living living by, you know, I don't want to say the Jedi code, but living with these principles of knowing right from wrong, knowing that yeah. you want to venture towards the light rather than the dark. Um, so it definitely was a powerful way to end the chapter. Yeah, uh, really, it's for their... They've, they had a very meaningful, powerful uh, confrontation, conversation, but it, it does end on kind of that tragic note where Qui-Gon is just not sure if yeah. he will be able to break free from his shame uh, or, or really kind of throw away shame. It's, it seems like he is in some ways clutching onto it and letting it kind of guide him, uh, you know, even, even if he might not want it to. Um, but the chapter ends... Yeah. With Obi-Wan getting this call from Mace Windu, and the council has made its decision with how to move forward with the situation on Pijal. Uh, nothing more than that. They've, yep. come to a they've come to a decision, and we're, uh, we're left Chris. wondering what that decision is, how it's going to unfold. A little bit of a cliffhanger uh, here as yeah. well, but that wraps up these chapters and wraps up this episode. Nick, this has been... A fantastic conversation. Do you have any closing thoughts on our, our on our conversation uh, before we wrap up? Yeah. Uh, well, first, thank you for having me on. And I th I think you know taking a step back from the depth of this chapter uh, because clearly there was a lot to it. <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah. I think uh, the last thing I'd like to talk about really quick was looking at it as a Star Wars. You know this. This franchise is made for 12-year-olds. That's how George originally wanted it. Yeah. And clearly, Claudia is not writing for 12-year-olds. But one thing I think is super cool, going back to the little kid in me, 
is the way she has depicted lightsaber battles because we talked oh, about yeah. the we talked about it a little at the beginning with how you know they looked like they were dancing there the, how the blades were flowing it was awesome but I think this last scene one thing that really struck me so good it it really was it was awesome it was when it said something about their blades were not clashing but they were so close to where you could like see the sparks flying off of the blades it was super cool just picturing these lightsabers because when i when i think of star wars i think of lightsabers that's probably the the first word that comes to mind um so she did an awesome job just going into the detail of blades um and how intricate that little sparring match was i I really liked that yeah and i think going off of that uh, we we also should not forget that you know Qui Gon is a, is a, a a great duelist in his own respect, but Rail has also been noted to be a masterful duelist. You know, kind of continuing uh, Dooku's teachings because Dooku yeah. is one of the best duelists. So it's really this this duel, this sparring session too, is between two top notch, you know, close to the best of their craft uh, duelists and. Really, this the way that she wrote it, also being so casual between them as well, where it's just they're just as if they're going through the motions, but really it's like they're making each other work a little bit. It yeah. was uh, it was a fun scene, but also very intricately written. I, I yeah. love how descriptive she was too with the with the writing about lightsabers. And we also got a passage earlier in the book where Obi Wan was talking about like a, a kyber crystal within the lightsaber, and I think the lightsaber, just anything written about lightsabers in this book, Claudia has uh, oh yeah has done really well. Has done really well. Definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, awesome but, chapters though, man. I, I oh, I'm yeah. very excited that you you picked me to talk about these because there was a lot to talk about. It was it, they were super interesting. There was a lot to talk about. I'm glad yeah. that we were able to have this conversation, man. Definitely. Uh, but closing up, if the listeners wanted to find you, wanted to find Carbonate Convos on the internet, could you just plug your work and tell them where they could find you and what you do? Yeah, definitely. So luckily, we are our, our name is pretty um, universal all around. We were very lucky enough that most platforms had it, um, you know, exactly how we wanted it. So you can follow us on all major social media platforms and podcast platforms at Carbonite Convos. Um, so that's pretty much Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're, we're freshly on TikTok, so we're doing a lot on there, which we're really excited about. Um, so you can follow us pretty much everywhere at Carbonite Combos, and you know, can't forget YouTube. That's our, that's our number yeah. one. And if you want to follow me personally, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, again, TikTok at Funko Stud. That's where obviously I talk a lot about Star Wars. Uh, you mentioned it at the beginning. I talk a lot about Marvel, but that's where I like highlighting my collection more. So it's kind of like the other side of my fan. I I'd say, you know, more than podcasting, collecting is, yeah. you know, the, the larger, not larger half cause it's half, but the larger uh, focus <laughs> of my fandom is on my collection. So, you know, that's where I get to really have fun have fun with all this um is on those platforms and and alec as well who's my co-host uh wall crawler pops we we're very active on those uh, outlets just with you know our personal fandoms and hobbies yeah, it's, it's fun to to keep track of and to really see both of your passions for 
different fandoms, whether it's yeah. Star Wars, Marvel. I know uh, Alex has been getting some Pokemon pops. Uh, and all, you he know, it's loves just, Pokemon. <laughs> seeing seeing you just being able to channel your your fandom and your passion for for this content in just fun ways. Yet you have good discussions and videos on your YouTube, uh, and then also just you know talking about uh, and and just and doing like unboxings and and reviews of Funko Pops. It's really fun stuff, listeners. I will post links to Nick's work uh, and channel in the episode description. Go check it out. You will not be it, disappointed. Man. But thank you so much it. for making the time to come on the show, man. This was yeah. this was great. It was a lot of fun. It, right before we go, I figured you'd like this a lot. Um, up until now, the only Qui-Gon pop was nine hundred bucks, um, except for the glow in the dark one, which is all blue. You can get it for like fifty. So going off the theme of this book, wanted to Love show it. you the new one. It it's got Love an it. awesome base. It is a <laughs> it is a beautiful pop. I know the listeners can't see it, but I figured you'd like to. I wish they check could. that out. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It is, it is super nice. One of my the, yeah. one of my favorite pops now. I I did place my order on on Amazon. They're out of stock, oh, really? but as soon as they're in stock, uh, I will be there. You go because uh, that's that's the new one. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah. I will be getting one. Uh, yeah, I love that. There you go. Kind of the, the brown base too. I don't think no. They're I don't all. Think I have any like that? No. The only other pops that have a unique base for Star Wars, well, singular pops, other than like the rocket bases of people sure. flying are Ray and Kylo when they have the snow base. But this is a – I, in all honesty, I too, I hate bases. But this is a beautiful base. It's it's incredible. Oh, it's got some intricate – Yeah, it's it, like a design on it, too? Yes, it's it, – I don't know if you can oh, see that. Oh, that's fantastic. It's almost like a – shoot, my bad. My bad. <laughs> he just dropped it. Yeah. It's almost like um, it's it's the temple. Um, it's him from Tatooine. It's the Across the Universe yeah. line, um, and it's you know the Tatooine version. But you're gonna you're gonna love That's this great. pop, man. I love it. Thank for you sure. for for showing me that yes. in detail yes, too. I, I hope that you'll be able to to put the head back on the figure after you dropped it up. I am <laughs> the the king of fixing pops. I've broken way too many. Uh, I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> but thanks so much, man. Yeah, this man. was this was an awesome time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It was it was super fun, and we'll we'll definitely have to get you on the show uh, here very soon if you're comfortable with going live. We're, I would love it. Yeah, I would love we're, it. We're super excited. <laughs> And before we close up today, I'll give our discussion question for these chapters. Qui-Gon told Rail that confronting the dark side is not a choice they make once to walk away from, but rather the journey of a lifetime. Does that reflect the views of the Jedi Order as a whole? Or, if not, how might the Order look different if they adopted that philosophy? And listeners, I will post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please send us a response on any of those platforms or by email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay up to date on the show and our discussion questions, feel free to give us a follow on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so if you head over to patreon.com slash outerrimreads. And if you want some show merch, you can find us at teespring.com slash stores slash outerrimreads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Gayhud, is hosted by Andrew Gayhud, is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Gayha as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 34. So until then, sit back and enjoy. Careful not to disturb young Obi-Wan over there. Looks like he's got an important call with the council.